It's fallen to me to conclude our series on the letter to the Philippians as we've been looking at this topic of the secrets for a joyful 2024. And in preparing, I came across this and I wanted to read it to you and ask how, how do you respond? But what if things work out? Your hard work does pay off. Nothing bad does happen. You enjoy yourself. You prove yourself, your worries and your irrational thoughts wrong. And I don't know about you, but I thought this is a ridiculous list. Because I normally find myself thinking the exact opposite. Things won't work out. Hard work won't pay off. A lot of bad things will happen. I probably won't enjoy myself. And my worries and irrational thoughts will be right. But it's a really interesting thing to read this and realize, especially in light of the chapter we're studying tonight, there's, there's a really crucial thing that's missing. And I think it should be this at the end of that list. But what if God's good to his word and now that the secret to contentment and joy and peace with him is out, we might actually be able to have those things and live those things. And I want to suggest to you that uh, the key verse, I think a helpful big idea tonight, is chapter 4, 12 and 13. Do you want to have a glance down? Because it's where I'm getting uh, the big idea that the secret for contentment really is out. Because Paul says, just in the context of encouraging the Philippians regarding the gifts that they've sent to him, he's saying that was good, but uh, you don't need to keep sending money because, this is verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. So I find that a remarkable statement because it's so complete. And I find it challenging because it's suggesting to me that my pessimism and my expectation that things will only go badly is wrong. And so that's a real beautiful challenge for us tonight that what 2024 looks like as God is at work in each one of us is, if not, the disappearance of anxiety, a diminishing anxiety as the Lord Jesus comes in and overwhelms it. But please pray with me now for God's help to understand this, not just to understand it, but it might come true in all of our lives. Please join me and let's pray. Father, thanks that the secret's out, that by trusting the Lord Jesus, we can be right with you and... Because our eternity is taken care of, everything else can find its place at his feet. We pray for ourselves that we'd understand it, but that we'd be so relieved, Lord God, by this good news tonight, that 2024 would be just so different because it would be filled with less anxiety, if, if not no anxiety. And we ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage sets up a, a really, really clear contrast, doesn't it? So on the one hand, you've got 
contentment and joy. So we just heard Paul speaking about that in verse 12 and 13. And so what he's suggesting is that you can have joy. You can be calm and have a gentle spirit. It is possible with God's help to live free from anxiety. You can have peace with God. And you can let the good override the bad. And it's contrasted with allowing the opposite to be true, letting anxiety rule. So the contrast is very, very clear, isn't it? So I want to talk just for a moment about anxiety, but I want to preface that with um, saying this. I just need to be really clear with you. This is not an exhaustive clinical treatment um, about anxiety. And nor do I want to suggest to you that tonight, just by hearing this, you should be cured of your anxiety and that experiencing anxiety from this point onwards is sin. No, no, we are not saying that at all. But at the same time, what I, what I want to wrestle with, which is what I've already suggested, is it's such an absolute statement on the part of God through Paul that contentment and joy is possible, that we still want to wrestle with that. Okay? So the two things can be true, that anxiety can continue to be something that, we, that some of us wrestle with, Yet, God's power can overwhelm that in Christ. So, just some comments about anxiety before we get going. And I need to acknowledge um, that I've learned about anxiety recently through the mental health first aid training that Tegan organised for us, uh, some of the, for the staff and some of our volunteer team here. Very, very helpful. And I want to recommend this book to you, When the Noise Won't Stop by Australian uh, Christian minister called Paul Grimmond. And um, the little bit I've heard from him and the recommendations I've had about this book seem to suggest that it's an excellent combination of dealing um, with nuance about medicating for anxiety, counselling for anxiety, but wrestling with the spiritual realities of anxiety. And Paul Grimmond himself is someone who is a lifelong anxiety sufferer. Um, an excellent book. So I've, I've learned from the mental health first aid training and um, a little bit from Paul. So here's what I've learned. Everyone experiences anxiety at some time. So it, it's not unusual at all. It's just so regular. And Paul Grimmond defines it as this. It's a physiological response to a world that is threatening and dangerous. But to push a little bit further, it's a physiological response to a world that we perceive as threatening and dangerous. Because so often what we're dealing with when it comes to anxiety is what's going on in our minds as we interact with the people and the world around us. Now, anxiety disorders are longer lasting. Okay, so it's not, it's not just a moment, but it's something that endures. And 16.8% of all Australians experience anxiety disorder. Okay, so again, it is, it is a regular thing. Females slightly more than males. Now, when we come to the Bible, anxiety is something that really gets a mention, but in positive and negative ways, because the word anxiety can be also translated concern. Okay, so Timothy has an anxiety a concern for the Christians in Philippi. And that's a really good thing. Paul has a concern and anxiety for the churches, that they're okay. You can read about that in 2 Corinthians 11. 
And he urges the Corinthians to have an anxiety for one another. <laughs> so you can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So it's right that in some ways and in some moments that Christians are anxious. <laughs> we should be concerned and caring. But what Paul is trying to encourage the Philippians and through this letter to us is that while anxiety is a regular experience, the Christian response would not stop there or go and find some alternative kind of cure, but find itself working its way out through the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's our challenge. There's the beautiful hope, the possibility, but also the challenge for us. Because he can say, whatever the circumstances, in any and every situation, I've learned to be content and not anxious. So, before we take a step into the passage tonight, what I wanted to do was just review the circumstances, right? Because Paul says, in any circumstance, in every situation. So, what were his circumstances? Because it's really important for us to avoid what so often happens. Parts of Philippians chapter 4 become single sentences on Christian calendars. And they kill Christians. Because... When you're just thinking, rejoice in the Lord always, and forgetting about all the circumstances and everything that has brought Paul to learn this, you think, I should be like that all the time. Or, worse still, if you've got on your calendar, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, which, at least my version of the NIV doesn't even say, <laughs> you're being killed in front of this calendar every day. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. No, you can't. You can't. And that's not what it says. Okay? So we need to understand the circumstances in which Paul's able to say, in any and every circumstance, I'm content. So, first of all, Acts chapter 16. I'm just going to do a flyover if you want to reread it later. Um, it's, it's wonderful. But it recounts when Paul and his team first arrived at Philippi. And here are some of the things that are mentioned Paul and his people, um, they seek a place of prayer. And they find Lydia and presumably other women. They preach the gospel. Lydia believes. And her household also believes and is baptized. Sometime later, Paul and his team are being followed. They're being shadowed by a female slave who is possessed with a spirit that can predict the future. This goes on for a few days. And the text says Paul eventually got annoyed. He cast the spirit out, which I take it was excellent for the girl but we know it was very bad for her owners because they were earning cash out of her ability to predict the future. They get dark with Paul, and so Paul and Silas are brought before the city magistrates in front of a kangaroo court, and they are tried and beaten, then imprisoned. And what we, we know something of how Paul and Silas understood that moment, how they reacted, what their emotions were, because it's recorded that they were singing hymns and praises to God. In the prison. And in that moment, there is an earthquake. In the middle of the earthquake, the jailer, fearing that all his prisoners are about to run loose and fearing the consequences for him, decides to attempt suicide. They call out to him not to do that. He runs in and says, what must I do to be saved? Presumably he's heard them preaching the gospel and what they've been singing and praising. He trusts Christ, baptised, 
he and his whole household. Then he takes care of the wounds of Paul and Silas. They eventually leave the city. Now, I've walked into prison a couple of times. Didn't make me feel that great. I've been in a, a decent earth tremor in a building when it happened. Wasn't great. Didn't enjoy it. But how about all these circumstances racked up? Wow. And seriously, that, that, that is just one episode. <laughs> Paul's able to say, in every circumstance, in every situation, I've learned what it is to be content. Wow. And then the letter to the Philippians itself helps us understand circumstances. And again, why do I want to do this rehearsing and reminding of these circumstances? It's because we want to be careful to understand that when Paul says such a massive thing, it's not trite. It's not small. It's not, un it's not unexperienced at all. So, just from the flyover, from the letter to the Philippians, there's some anxiety about the distance and separation between the new believers in Philippi and the apostle, but it goes both ways. Paul's imprisoned in Rome. In that context, there are envious rivals within the church who are preaching the gospel just so that it will get worse for Paul in the prison. That's nice, isn't it? But there are also people of goodwill within the church who have been emboldened to preach Christ. There's pressure in the Christian community, both in Philippi and elsewhere, not to live for Christ. In fact, Paul says, I know you're suffering as a Christian. There's temptation to selfish ambition and vain conceit because Paul is writing so that they actually wouldn't pursue those things. He says, you live amongst a crooked and warped society that's concerned with its stomach. It glories in its shame and rejects Christ. There's a regular threat of illness and death. Epaphroditus has been on death's door. There's a Jewish context that is so hardcore that you can be right with God by ticking all the legal boxes that it's putting pressure on the Christian community that they shouldn't worry about Jesus anymore. There's conflict within the ministry team and the church. That never happens, does it? And then he can say, I know what it means to be in want and be in plenty. So he's experienced it all. Circumstances, my goodness. Wow. Utterly real life, which is exacerbated by being serious about Jesus. Now, you all know your own circumstances. And they're full, aren't they? And some of you have experienced and are experiencing very severe circumstances. And so their real life, your real life, is addressed by this word of God through Paul. But there's one really, really, really essential circumstance that Paul also mentions in his letter to the Philippians, and it underpins pretty well his confidence in everything. He says, there's a backmarker of the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and because of that, sins can be forgiven. And there's a forward marker of the Lord Jesus' return. And we can be absolutely certain that that day of Christ will come, that sins will be judged in light of how people have responded to what Jesus has done. And there's forgiveness for those who trust Christ and there's judgment for those who don't. And because of the past and because of the future that's coming, the present can be lived with great confidence and security. And that's why he can say what he says in Philippians chapter 4. So there, the circumstances... And so that sets a bit of the scene for him to say in every circumstance. This is my next point. He says, in every circumstance, 
I know what it means. I know the secret of being content. That's a really interesting word because in its context, it means self-sufficient, resourced, satisfied. And the way it was used in particular was by the Stoic philosophers who saw this contentment as such a high virtue to be detached from outward circumstances and have resources inside yourself to meet every situation. That's what the Stoics believed. And then Paul says he's learned the secret. And that word secret was used in mystery cults for initiation into a secret that no one else would then know. But what Paul's doing here is is doing the exact opposite of the contemporary understandings of those things. He says, I'm not talking about self-sufficiency. I'm not talking about only something that certain people can know. I'm talking about all sufficient resources through him who gives me strength, the living Lord Jesus. And Paul's was an open secret. It was out. It was available to everyone in Christ. And that's why Philippians chapter 3, verse 9 is so important. Here is where the rubber really, really hits the road for understanding the power and the strength of God in Christ. And Ian helped us last week understand how Paul had, when he reached the peak of being a Jew and perhaps felt as close to God as anyone could possibly get, in knowing Christ, he says this, I consider all those things garbage, all the things that I had, all the boxes that I could tick, whatever anyone thought of me, they were garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So he's saying, so no matter what happens, no matter what situation I find myself in, I can keep all that in perspective because I'm reconnected to the God of the universe. My future looks like the resurrection of Jesus. And so then everything finds its place under him. I don't need to worry anymore whether I'm well fed or whether I'm hungry. I can deal with the ups and the downs. I'm happy to lose what cannot be kept to gain that which cannot be lost. Jesus Christ and eternal life in him. So again, before we get to Philippians chapter 4 and press into the, the passage just a little bit, I want to share a really helpful reflection um, of Paul Grimmins. Because he said... As he has dealt with his lifelong anxiety, he said, I've come to consider that my anxiety is a gift, as wretched as it's been, because it forces me to go to the gospel, forces me to go to Christ, to have a deepening trust in God and not me. So Paul, Paul has said, Paul Grimmond, yeah, a medicated response to anxiety, yes, but not a medicated response alone. A counselling response to anxiety, yes, but not counselling alone, and nor medication and counselling together alone. But Paul and his experience is saying, yes, a medicated approach, yes, a counselling approach, especially so that those things can calm us down sufficiently so that we can deal with the underlying issues and in particular perhaps have clearer minds to be able to deal with the spiritual theological issue. And here's what he means. He's got this little kind of self-talk three questions. When he's trying to just help his thoughts be under God's control, these are his questions. 
Is Jesus in control? Yes, he's risen, he reigns, and he rules. Question two, does it matter if I don't know all the possible outcomes? No, (laughs) because Jesus reigns and he rules. Does this decision have to be perfect to honour Jesus? No. Because we know, don't we, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, God's power is made perfect in our weakness, so Christ's power can rest on us. And I found that really helpful, Paul Grimman's reflections there, just to really bring the rubber to hit the road in personal responses and greater trust in the Lord Jesus when not everything and most things are out of our control. (laughs) So the secret of contentment. Um, I remember something in southeast Queensland where we lived for the five years before um, coming to Canberra in 2021, when people were wanting to sell cars that were reasonable cars, instead of putting for sale on the back, they would write, want this, and then just the phone number. And I thought, mate, this is, I guess this is right, they're just playing on our greed, playing on our desire to have the next best thing, have something better. Um, and I guess, of course, it's a, if it's a hot car and you're into hot cars, you're going to, yeah, of course I want that. I think what God's putting before us in what he's done in the Lord Jesus and how the Apostle Paul understands him, of course we want that, don't we? It's just so good. It's so good. As we struggle with our anxiety, as we struggle with the uncertainty, certainly the fullness of what Paul is experiencing is something we'd want to say, yeah, we want to have it. But again, let me just encourage you, I'm not suggesting tonight that on the basis of this talk, and maybe even a better understanding of Philippians chapter 4, it's suddenly going to snap. No. But at the same time, I don't want to negate the word of God by the struggles that I might even have. Because what God is saying to me is that the fullness of moving towards no anxiety, it's there and it's possible. But for some of us, it will just be a plod and a wrestle until Jesus comes back. But at the same time, let's dig in and see what Paul says. So here's what Paul learned. And I I love that expression. He says, I didn't get injected with this idea. I didn't like go up on a mountaintop and have this kind of revelation. Uh, This has been a progression. This is what I've learned. But I'm I'm really going to pass it on because it's not something that needs to be kept just to me. And so he says in as, we, as he presses in to be able to be content, here I think is probably the key concept. Understand and concentrate on the Lord Jesus. So have a look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So what he's saying is that life actually is centred on Jesus and then works its way outwards. And focusing on the Lord Jesus and understanding everything that he is and working from him out is the way to joy. And why is that the case? Well, let me just remind us of some of the things that have been mentioned about the Lord in this letter. Grace, so unmerited kindness and peace, come from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this Lord is like. He is gracious. The God who started a work in them and in you, if you're a follower of Jesus, is working on completing it 
in preparation for Jesus coming back. That's his power. This Christ, this Lord, is a servant. The beautiful hymn of chapter 2. The Lord Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead took the nature of a servant, finding himself in the form of a man. He served suffering to death on the cross. Wow. Awesome. But he didn't stay dead. The hymn goes on to say that this Jesus is now the exalted boss of all. And we've just seen in chapter 3, verse 9, that what he gives is righteousness by trusting in him. So Jesus is greater than sin and death. Jesus guarantees reconnection with God. Jesus is greater than any circumstance, and his purposes are worked out. Rejoice. Rejoice. Wonderful. But then he goes on and says, another key to this contentment, I take it, is knowing that Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, is near. And that produces a calm reassurance. Have a look at verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So in that first Pentecost, after Jesus has gone back to be with his Father, the Holy Spirit comes and Peter explains, no, we're not drunk, it's too early in the morning anyway for that, but the risen Jesus has distributed the Holy Spirit to the people that you now see and you can hear. But the same that was true for them is the same for us, that the Holy Spirit is with us, God is with us, not only near us but in us. And so you don't need to go to a temple to meet with God, you don't need to go to a synagogue, so in Paul's day the synagogue was the mini kind of transported version of the temple, you don't need to go there to meet God. He went to the riverside actually to meet with people so that they could meet God through the preaching of the gospel. And in prison he wasn't thinking that he was separated from God or that his circumstances actually kept him from God. He was rejoicing actually. Praising the God who was with him, doing his work. So I want to suggest this to you as the practical kind of outworking of what it means that the Lord is near. And it sounds maybe just a little bit too mystical, but I think it's right. Practicing the presence of God. And what I mean is this, and this is how it works for me. Just being reminded, especially through the scriptures, but remembering what this verse is saying, God is with me. He is near me. He is in me. And so I am comforted actually by that thought. And I'm reminded by the fact that I'm not abandoned. Never, never, ever. And so it leads really to the next point, but I'll just say it here. So I do work on talking with him and inviting him in to my thoughts, to the things that I'm doing, to correct me, to help me, to sustain me, to direct me. It's really super practical. So it's not just going on in my mind, but out of my mouth, actually, as I am in conversation with the Lord, which wakes my wife up sometimes early in the morning when I'm in another part of the house exercising, but uh, responding to the Lord at the same time. But that leads me to, I think, to point us to what Paul is saying next. Well, realizing that God is actually dependable. So not only is he near, but he's dependable. And so depend on him in prayer. Have a look at verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, 
With thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Every situation, there's nothing too big or too small. Speak to him. Engage with him. Invite him in. Um, someone was reminding me after one of the talks this morning, uh, petition. That, that, that's like a perpetual kind of asking, fronting up, fronting up, fronting up. Um, that we would do that, that they would do that all the time. So here's, here's a practical suggestion for you. First of all, I guess a question, how do you go at understanding that God is with you? Um, do you have that in your minds? Do you have that understanding with you? Do you practice his presence? But how do you go actually at inviting him in? Asking, praying, thanking him. And so could you give it more of a go this year? Because it's just a wonderful promise, isn't there, for us. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How good is that for the anxious person? So I'd be glad if you asked me how it's going, because I'd like to do it more and really help my anxiety subside. And the last thing, the secret is out, but it needs intentional thought. And that's what Paul is talking about just in the, in the last verses there. If you see Christ at work in others, think about what they do and imitate them. It, it kind of seems just too high a bar that Paul sets, what you've seen in me, imitate. But he's quite confident that that's what he's, that's what he's doing. And brothers and sisters, if you see that in other people, imitate it. Imitate it. So it's kind of like uh, Tim's reflection on what uh, Oscar and, and Stephen had kind of talked about. Was I at that point when I was 18? He says, no. Nah. But if someone is, why don't you imitate it? <laughs> Praise God. It was a really interesting thing doing the mental health first aid course because, especially in preparation for this talk, it just reminded me that so much of what is good in human thinking and human practice is just thinking God's thoughts after him. And this is what I mean. There were, there were two really kind of um, helpful uh, remedies, I guess, or, or ways of dealing with anxiety that the Mental Health First Aid course suggested. The first thing was cognitive behaviour therapy. And so what that is simply is growing in an awareness of how you think and react to certain things. So that's the first step. And then working on changing how you think and react to the things that are inputs. But it's kind of like the mental health first aid people are just thinking God's thoughts after him. Because Paul's saying, work on your thought life. <laughs> whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, think about such things. But if you, as you've seen it in me, think about that as well. And there was another really cool piece of advice um, as, a, as an approach to treating anxiety, um, it was find self-help books that will keep you, um, I guess, managing your thoughts and thinking in the right direction. So I just want to recommend a really good self-help book. Um, great author, actually, the best. And his word brings eternal life. <laughs> it's kind of corny, but it's true, right? Um, that we would actually keep his book open and be hearing his word and allow his thoughts to actually change our thoughts. But where are you looking and what captures your attention? 
And I was really kind of um, struck by this dynamic the other night because our family um, caught public transport in to flight to see the drone show. And because we kind of got there a little bit late for the 8.30 and there was just so much traffic and so many people, we were never, ever going to get across to Commonwealth Place to see it from where it was, you were meant to view it. So we were sat on the hill under Regatta Point. So we were looking to the side, right? So we saw some stuff, but we didn't see everything. But the show that the Lord put on before those drones came out, that sunset as we looked out to the west was unbelievable. Um, I'd, it, literally, if I had my phone and everyone was just pointing their phone at that, at that sunset, the show that the Lord was putting on, right? And we were just bathed, the whole place, everyone was just bathed in this beautiful, beautiful light that just kept going and going and going. And I'd, I'd, I'd really appreciate the drone show, that especially that they all got back in their boxes. I, I, I couldn't believe that at the end. It was just amazing. It was so good. But I thought to myself, the Lord has been doing that since creation. It's free every night. And it was almost as if he was saying, they got nothing. <laughs> That's pretty right, actually. Especially because, like another twist in the, in the whole thing, was that if you saw it, the drone show was replicating God's creation. So the kangaroos, there were birds, there were other things, and that was cool. But if I'm looking back over here, that's much better. But I wonder, well, I know it's true, actually, because I know it's true in me, and I'm pretty sure it's, it's true in you. You can get distracted by something that is really pretty good. It's good. It's not bad at all. Watching those drones and the things that they were trying to replicate, that's good. It's not, it's not a problem. But it's not the glory of God, right? So the connection I'm trying to make is, are, are you getting distracted by something that is good, but it's not Jesus? Okay. Because what Paul understands that God has done in the Lord Jesus Christ is that Jesus is risen and he really rules, he really reigns. He's got your life in this life in his hands. He's got your life into eternity in his hands. And you do not need to worry through the ups and the downs. You do not need to worry. So I find Matthew 6.33 really, really helpful in this regard. It, personally, it has, it has been very powerful in my life at key times. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and let him add all these other things unto you. <laughs> And I think that that's where your view needs to be, the king and his kingdom. And just, just let him take care of the rest. Just let him take care of the rest. Let him, let him calm your thoughts, calm your mind. Talk to others about your anxiety. Um, it's been a revelation to me that so many people suffer from anxiety. We all do. And, and a decent percentage of people in, a, in an extended way talk with someone you trust. Do see a medical professional. And get your brothers and sisters to be praying for you. Um, be in the word and be reminded. Because the God of the universe is able actually to reach in and deal with all our anxieties. And let's pray that he would. And that 2024 would be just a spectacular year of joy, um, more than we could ever expect. Let's pray that now. Um, Lord, you're so good to us. You, you give us what we don't deserve. You have taken away any fear that we might have of looking into the future and coming face to face with you um, with all our sins in hand. You've taken them away, Lord, by putting them onto the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he's risen and he rules. 
Father, we can look back at his cross and his empty tomb and know that it's all done. And we can look forward with confidence that Jesus will return and forgive us completely. Father, please help us live now, putting our burdens and our anxieties into Jesus' hands. Um, Father, we pray for those of us who um, are troubled with anxiety and troubled with anxiety that endures. We do pray your kindness for our brothers and sisters in that situation and that, that it, it, you would see fit, Lord, this year to, to diminish that, if not take it away. Um, but Lord, fill this year for us with joy that you would surprise us, Lord God, with um, anxiety that goes and Jesus who looms larger and larger and larger. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.